the only way for you to really penetrate these hearts of ours is when we're broken before you and humbly say, God, speak to my heart and show me your word and direct my pathway. And that's where we are right now. And I pray you'd help us with that because God, we desperately need to hear from you today. We live in a crazy day. And through it all, we need the peace of God that passes all understanding so that we can walk with wisdom and point a world to Jesus Christ. We can't do that without your help. And I pray that the things we learn today would be a great help for that purpose. And that as a result of our gathered together today, we could leave in peace and in joy and confidence, determined to live out our faith for Jesus Christ. Thanks for what you'll do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't you go ahead and grab a seat, if you would. And um, if I talked to you already this morning about something, I don't want you to answer. How many of you know what day today is besides the 13th of September? How many know the holiday that it is today? It's the, one of the least known holidays. And so I Googled it and said, when did this come into being? It actually came into being in 1979 with President Carter. And I said to Colleen, we blew it, raising our kids. Today is National Grandparents Day. Yeah. And all the people with white hair or no hair are clapping, saying, yeah, we did it. In, in light of that, I have a message I want to speak to you today on leaving a legacy of faith. I think grandparents are important in our day and age. And some of you are tuning me out saying, I'm not a grandparent. I'm not going to listen to this. You will be if God tarries. And God grants you children and grandchildren. And it's, an, it's a wonderful thing. But regardless of where we are in life, every one of us have a legacy we're going to leave when we're left behind. And that legacy is so very important. And I know there's a song out today that says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I only want to remember Jesus. Well, the Bible is filled with legacies. I mean, Hebrews 11 is all about legacies of faith. And I don't want to leave a legacy about how great I am. I want to leave a legacy of faith that my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren know how to live for Jesus Christ in a world that is absolutely crazy. Amen. I hear this every once in a while. Uh, I, I want to press the delete button on 2020. You know, we'd be glad when 2021 gets here. Are you sure? I'm not sure that much is going to change. Why? We live in a world without Jesus Christ. And it's going to be filled with all sorts of catastrophes. And we need to understand that through it all, we leave a legacy of faith. Some of you are wondering, now let me stop for a minute, who is this guy? Well, I'm John Blodgett, used to be the pastor here a long time ago, and by the way, it feels good because... Phil built a platform out there, and I never could get used to this, and I, because I'm used to this for 21 years, and standing way up here, and uh, now I can see all the way in the back, and I couldn't do that before down low, so I'm glad to be with you today. Let's talk about this leaving legacy of faith. 2020 has been a very tumultuous year. For us as a family, with Colleen, um, we, we started the lockdown like everybody else did. And then she had knee replacement surgery. Then she had a bulging disc as a result of the knee surgery. And so I told her, like in June, you know, you won't be back to church until towards the end of September. And she just looked at me like, are you kidding me? Nope, first Sunday back. It's been a long siege in our household. She, 
she read a, a, a little article that, uh, um, a message from my sister-in-law, from our sister-in-law yesterday to me, and what a year it's been for her. She lost her parents. Yesterday, she lives out in Oregon, and um, the fire destroyed the home of her grandparents that she remembers as a child, along with 10 other people from the church she grew up in. And she just said, I want to hit the delete button. But I look at 2020 and say, you know what? We have no reason to fear. Why? Because as Christians, we are planted firmly and deeply on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. I don't have to fear anything, and I don't want to make light of things, but I, I got to tell you, friends, if something happens to me and I die, what happens? I get to be with Jesus, and that isn't too bad. And that's the faith we look at in a society that says, everything's falling apart, it's going to be disaster. No, for the Christian, the best is yet to come. And that's the faith we live in in a day that doesn't understand what's going on. In all of the uncertainty in which we are living, we need to remind ourselves that we're held securely in the everlasting arms of the Savior and nothing or no one can separate us from the Father's love. That's where we dwell. And it's the steadfast faith that allows us to face things with certainty with confidence and with boldness, realizing that God is still in control. I can trust him. He will never break his word and he will never ever forsake me in my hour of need. That's the faith that we possess in almighty God. And it is that living vital faith that we must pass down to our children and our grandchildren. Let me tell you something about your faith. It is your greatest possession. And leaving them a legacy of faith is better than any amount of wealth you could ever leave to your children. To understand who God is, to understand how to live in tumultuous times will get them further in life than leaving them all of the wealth that you possess. Ken Davis I, I lovingly joke that he's the great theologian. <laughs> Ken Davis is a Christian comedian. And he says this, leave them a legacy of joy, integrity, and faith. Isn't that a great thing? Let your children and your grandchildren know that you enjoyed life. Do, do you enjoy life? I don't think so. At home, welcome. Do you, do you enjoy life? My goodness, we ought to live it to the full. That's what we were given, wasn't it, by Christ? Abundant, full life. Leave me a legacy of integrity. You know what that means? That means you're the same thing at home as you are at church. That means you're the same thing at work as you are at church. In your recreation as you are at church. They ought to be able to look at you and say, there's consistency in my parents in their love for Jesus Christ and they're living out their faith. And then leave them the legacy of faith so they know what to believe and they know who God is. There's another man that I like to quote at this point. His name is Tim Kimmel. Tim Kimmel, for all your grandparents, has written a great book on grandparenting you ought to get a hold of. 
And listen to what he says. Our epitaph will not be written on stone. It will be imprinted on the hearts of our children and grandchildren. It's not on that grave marker. It's on your kids. It's on your grandkids. So how do you pass on a legacy of faith? Now, I realize we don't have notes because I don't know. We miscommunicated something here. So if you want to copy my notes, call the church office. I'll get you the complete set. They'll send them to you in the email. We'll get that out to you if you want them. Just let the office know. But here's the first thing. If I'm going to do it, I must live intentionally so I can pass on a legacy of faith. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we'll be in our text today. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's talk about that faith and what that means. If I'm going to live intentionally, I have to think properly about this God in Deuteronomy 6. How do I do this? Three points under this. Number one, watch one generation. Watch one generation. Pay attention to one generation. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 says this, only take care and keep what? Your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart in all the days of your life. Watch yourself. You do know, don't you, that you are your own worst enemy. You will trip yourself up more than anybody else will trip you up. He said, watch yourself. Pay attention to your personal faith. Pay attention to how you're living out your faith. So if I'm going to pass the things on intentionally, I'm intentionally looking at myself saying, am I living out my Christian life? Here's the second thing. Teach two generations. In the last part of that verse in Deuteronomy 4, 9, it says, make them known to your children and your grandchildren. In other words, I'm going to talk to them about the things of God. So I watch one generation. I teach two generations. And we'll get on to the teaching part a little bit later in the message. And here's the big thing. Think four generations. How am I living right now How is that going to affect future generations? There's a verse in Samuel, or excuse me, Psalm 78, verse 5, it says this. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So, so far we have the fathers, one generation. We have their children, two generations. That the next generations might know them, watch this, the children yet unborn, a third generation, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works God, but keep his commandments. I do this. How am I living? How's it going to affect myself? My children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. What kind of legacy am I living, leaving them that says this is how you live the faith that's in Jesus Christ? I have to think about it, and I have to live intentionally so that my generations to come after me know there's a God in heaven, know how to love him, and know how to live for him. Think four generations. 
It's not about your own pleasure right now. It's not about your own purposes right now. It's about God and about passing on a legacy of faith. The second thing you must do, and that's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is you must settle your personal core belief so you can pass on a legacy of faith. What do you believe? Be settled in that belief. This verse in verse 4 is known as the, the Shema in Israel. It's known as the hear. Listen carefully. Again, here's the verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what's my responsibility in all of this? Hear. Listen. Pay attention. What does it mean to hear? It means to listen so that I understand. It means to hear with discernment so that I understand what God is saying. Phil and I were talking last Sunday after the sermon and I said to him, I said, you know the old saying, a chapter a day doesn't keep the devil away. And, but that's sometimes what we do. It's like we read the Bible for our good luck charm for the day. No, he said, hear it, listen, get discernment on it. What do you mean if you get discernment? You hear God's word so you understand who God is. That's number one. I don't read the Bible to find out about me. I read the Bible to find out about God. So I had to look at God, see who he is, and then I need to know, know him and then know how to live out that faith. So three purposes. Number one, I, I want to know who God is. I want to know him personally, and I want to know how to live out the Bible and what he's telling me to do. You see, friends, I believe that we need to be on a journey of knowing God. Until the day we die, we ought to be on a journey of knowing God. Knowing him better this year than I did last year, than the year before that and the year before that. A continual journey of discovering who God is and what he means in my life. This God that you and I know, I not only need to listen to him, but I need to do something else. I need to realize that my relationship with this God is personal. He said, hear Israel, the Lord, our God. It was, everything about it was personal. He's our God. He's not the God of all the people around us. He's ours. We have a personal relationship with this God. We know him, and he's ours. Is that the way you feel about God? I have this personal relationship with God where I know him. Not just about him. I know him. Years ago, when the argument was around, you know, is God alive or is he dead or whatever is going on in the world, remember those arguments? One of the greatest arguments back to that was this. Oh, I know he's alive. I just talked to him this morning. Is that the real relationship you have with God? I know him. Let's get past the elementary things and get into a deep knowledge of who God is. So I read from this that I must enter into this personal relationship with God. I have to come to a faith in Jesus Christ so that I don't know about him, I know him. Colin and I have um, gone through, I hope I'm, I'm right, 47 years of marriage. Next year, we're going to have a big celebration because 
that would be 50 years ago I met her. So I, I'm going to party twice. 50 years of, of knowing her and then 50 years of marriage later on. i tell you what, I know her a whole lot better than when I first met her. And I know her a whole lot better than when I married her. And guess what? She knows me a whole lot better. And she could tell you some things that you'd go, huh? And I could tell you some things that you'd go, huh? They're really like that? Well, yeah, we're human beings. But we've gotten to know each other. So let me ask you a question. How long have you been a Christian? Okay, you're all kind of sitting there. This COVID thing has really turned us into a bunch of people who sit and watch. I just want you think for a moment, how long have you been saved? How long have you been saved? At the count of three, I want you to tell me how long you've been saved. One, two, three. That was not very good. How long have you been saved? Okay, do you know Jesus better today than you did how many years ago? Do you know him better than yesterday? Better than the day before? Better than last year? That's what he's talking about here. The Lord, our God, he's our personal God. And then I realized something about this God. This God is unique. He says in here, verse four, the Lord, our God is one. Now, doesn't that seem a little strange to you? He, he's one. What does he mean by this? A couple of different things. God is one in essence, that's one of the meanings of this. It means, watch this, he is always the same. The Canaanite gods were interesting. They could have the same God in different Canaanite villages. But to this village, he was one thing in the village. He was another thing in the country. And if he went to another area of the world, he was another thing. Their God changed with every location. Don't you wish you had a God like that? Are you kidding? He said, our God is one. Israel's God was the same when he met with Abraham as when he met with Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. And when Jesus came to this earth, he was the same God. That's what he's saying here. You see, with our God, there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning in James. In Hebrews, we're told that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? God is the same God in 2020 as he was in 2019. He has not changed even though our world has been turned topsy-turvy. You can still depend on him. Here, Christian, the Lord our God is one God, the same yesterday, today, and when I get up tomorrow, he's going to be the same God. He's not going to change. That's the faith we pass on to our children. Don't worry. The world may be out of control, but God is still the same. Second thing it means is this. God is God alone. And this we need to penetrate our children's lives with and our grandchildren's lives with. God is God alone, and no other God can stand beside him. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, there's a great story. The ark of God has been taken captive by the Philistines. 
and they take it to their temple of their god, Dagon. It's a great story. Read it sometime, 1 Samuel 5. They get up in the morning and, and they go to the temple and there's the ark of God sitting there on the shelf and there's Dagon on the ground face down in front of the ark of God. So what do you do if your God's on the ground? Well, you pick him up, dust him off, and put him back on a shelf because that's where God belongs. And they get up the next morning, what happens? He's on the ground, his head is off, and his arms are off. And they go, whoa, this God is too powerful for us. Get rid of this ark and get it back to Israel. We don't want him. Our God cannot stand against him. Hey, friends, our God is God alone and no one is his equal. He is incomparable, unrivaled, and unequaled. Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other besides me. There is no God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's their core belief. So let me ask you a question. What is your core belief? What do you believe deep down in your soul where nobody else can see the bedrock of your faith, the bedrock of your life? What do you believe? Do you believe, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the only way to access God the Father and secure a place in heaven forever? Well, you can be a little more vocal than that. Is that what you believe? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Until you get to that access, until you get to that core belief, you're going to be thrown all the way around. I'll tell you what, your kids go to public school, they're getting every philosophy in the world thrown at them. You, listen, they watch TV, they're on the internet, they're having every philosophy in the world shoved at them, and you had better establish the firm foundation, our God is God and God alone, and there's no other access to heaven or to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's a firm bedrock core conviction. And then when your kids hear that, they go, huh? My grandkids hear that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. And they go, that's not true. Why? Because they've been taught from young up, this is how we view the world. This is what God says. This is what's going on. And all of a sudden, they can face the things that they hear with a bedrock foundation of here is truth according to God's word. And that's what you need to establish with your children and with your grandchildren. This is what you might want to get the notes for. Let me give you these. Five things, there's more than this, but these are five really essential things. Some core beliefs every believer must have. These are the bedrocks, if you will. Pastor Phil hit this last week a little bit. I'm not going to spend time on these, but here's the first one. The inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. I believe this book is God's word to mankind. It's not part of God's word. It doesn't just simply have some of it. This book, all of it, Genesis to Revelation, is God's word to mankind that we might know him and how to be in a right relationship with him. 
Secondly about that, it is without error. It is inerrant. It's right in every area that it speaks. I was just reading in Joshua this week. The, the account of the battle, I don't know if you remember, where the sun stood still, it seemed, for the space of a day. And I remember for years when I was growing up, scientists were going, that's impossible, the sun can't, you know, this can't happen. It's a... I remember listening to the radio one day, and you know what it came out with? Scientists have discovered as they're looking back at the universe that was, there was a day that seemed longer than any other day, and it lasted about the space of 24 hours. I, just, I, la- I was a teenager, and I laughed and said, why well, knew that a long time ago? God already said that to me in his word. And you say, well, what do you do if science and the Bible don't match? Science will catch up someday. Right? I mean, here we're trying to figure everything out. There's only one person who was there when everything started. God. And he told us how it all started. And we're down here trying to figure it out. They'll catch up someday. They'll catch up. Here's the second thing. I must believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is not a God. Listen to this. And we are not going to become gods as some people teach. Jesus Christ is God. And I put that as a firm foundation because it's God who had to die for my sins because it's God against whom I have sinned. A third thing I need to believe, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Been under attack for years. I believe that Jesus came into this world born of a virgin. There was no transference of sin into his life so that he was born completely without sin so that he could be the savior to die for my sins. It's a bedrock core belief. Here's another one, the substitutionary blood atonement of Christ on the cross. It's a fancy way of saying Jesus died in our place. He took my place on the cross and that's a core belief in my personal life. And the third one, or the last one, the fifth one is, I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Got to share a little bit of news with you. Jesus Christ is alive, and he will be alive forevermore. That's a core belief. It's a core belief. And you've got to have those as a solid foundation. And those are the types of things we teach our children and our grandchildren so they can have a legacy of faith passed on to them. And not just so they know them, but we help them understand what each of those mean and how they impact their everyday life. If I'm going to pass on a legacy of faith, there's some practical things that need to be implemented in our life. And here they are. You must make your core belief a priority so you can pass on a legacy of faith. A priority. Verse 5, Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I put it down this way for you. God becomes the ultimate love of your life. The ultimate love of your life. I told my wife years ago she would never get a card from me 
that, I t- that told her I loved her more than anything else in the world. You say, well, you're not very romantic. Oh, I am, a little bit. But she can never have the place of ultimate love in my life. She understands that if God is the ultimate love of my life, I will love her the way I'm supposed to love her. And she's comfortable with me loving God as the ultimate love of my life. Because she gets a lot of good benefits from that. God is the ultimate love of your life. You see, this is the place where you love God, you choose to love him, and you live in an intimate relationship with him. Let me put it this way. You love him to the core of your being. And speaking to him is as natural as speaking to your your spouse, speaking to your kids, speaking to your friend. Why? Because you love God to the depth of who you are. This word love, by the way, is an interesting word. It's the word we would have for affection. Boy, does that change how you look at things? I am to have now a deep affection for God. It's not a theological head knowledge of a love of God. It's this deep down love, affection of Almighty God. This love affection has to be so deep that it encompasses every area of my being. You see in here, it encompasses the heart. Now we have to, we have to understand something about the heart. In the Bible, the heart is not this organ. It's not even the, the central being of who we are. It is our intellectual area and our emotional area. I'm in deep love with God in my intellect. Boy, that changes everything, doesn't it? I love God intellectually. I love God emotionally. I love him with my soul, my personality, and my will. Did you know it's a lot easier to do the things God wants me to do if I love him? And I love him with my strength, my bodily and my mental energies. I have a deep affection for God down deep inside of me because of who he is. And this love relationship began in my life and it will begin in your life when you turn from your sin to Jesus Christ. Let me remind you about this love. It is God who first loved us. I listened to some things going on today and said, well, you know, basically you got to learn to love God. It sounds like it's all coming from us. It all came from God. Because I don't know about you, but I have been all of my life a no good rotten sinner. Anybody else? Well, I almost said anybody else agree with that. That'd mean, yeah, what you think of me. Anybody else agree with you about you? In my natural state, apart from God, I'm not very lovely. And yet God in heaven chose to come to this earth because he loved me. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. 
The only reason I can love my wife the way I can, the only reason I can love Carl Rackinator the way I do and anybody else in here is because God loved me and I can only love God because he first loved me. Do you ever have a crush on somebody when you were younger? Some of you, that's ancient history, I know, and you can't even remember back that far. But you liked somebody, but were too afraid to talk to them or to tell them. Just so I know I'm hitting home. Anybody remember those days? Some of you, you're not honest in church. What's the matter with you? I'm so glad that God not only loved me, but he showed me he loved me. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If anybody ever says to you, I'm not sure God loves me, point him to the cross of Jesus Christ. Enough to die for you. And then, when I see this God of love and I see his love poured out into my life, then, or on the cross, then I do one thing. I respond to God's love. Remember that verse in, first John, or in John chapter three? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's the love of God and I respond to that love. And when I respond to that love, not only do I get the forgiveness of sins, not only do I have a place secured for me in heaven, but the most wonderful thing happens to me. Romans 5, 8 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm the recipient of the love of Almighty God and he's put it deep in my heart. And all I have to do is let it flow out towards him and towards others. And I can love God with deep affection from the very inmost part of my being. Just to show you how important this is, one day Jesus was approached by some scribes and he was asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded this way. Mark chapter 12. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the question today is this, do you love God? No, do, do you love God? And is that known in your family? Is it known to other people how much you love God? If I were to come up to your children and your grandchildren and say, does this person love God? Would they instantly said, oh, Yes. I know they love God. It's evident in their everyday life. If I'm going to pass on this legacy of faith and I make this core belief my priority, then God becomes the center of my life. He's the, at the center. Look at verse six, if you would. It says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These things I'm talking about shall be in your innermost being. Keeping God's word in our hearts means I keep God, not myself, at the center of my being. 
a question that I need to ask myself from time to time is, how real is God to me today? How real is he to me right now, this very moment? Everything in my life must now center around who God is and what God has said. I want to challenge some thinking today because most of us have been taught to live by a set of priorities. Let's put that visual up if we could. We're in a set of priorities and it begins like this. God, family, church, prayer, work, relationships, recreation, politics, entertainment. The only problem with the priority list is what do you do with the priority list? Check. Check. Well, I spent time with God today. Check. Well, I said hi to my wife today. Check. I prayed a moment before I ate today. Check. I went to work. Check. I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. He's talking about something entirely different, that the word of God, that God himself must be at the center of my life. So what if we changed it a little bit? Let's go ahead and put up the the next illustration. Let's say that God is now at the center of our life. And like the old wagon wheel with the spokes coming out from it, everything revolves around the hub, God himself. So that when, if we go to the next one, so that when I have the right relationship with God, I will then have, watch this, you can't see it real well, I'll have a God-centered church, a God-centered family, a God-centered prayer life, God-centered work, God-centered relationships, God-centered recreation. Watch this. God-centered politics. Think of that for a minute. God-centered entertainment. Everything becomes about God. And so I watch those things that are pleasing to God. I speak those things that are pleasing to God. My family is pleasing to God because everything is revolving around God and how I live begins to touch every one of those areas of my life. That's what it means to have a core belief as the center of your life where God is at the center and everything works out from there. It is so important that we understand this, that this passing on a legacy of faith involves putting God at the center of it all and beginning to live out from there in a way that touches the lost and dying world. Now here's where it becomes a little stickier. I've got this in my life. If I'm gonna pass on a legacy of faith, You must determine to teach your children your core belief so that you can pass on a legacy of faith. It begins here in verse 7. He says these simple words. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You must teach them personally. He said, you teach your children. Parents, listen carefully to me. It is not the church's responsibility to teach your children about God. That's your responsibility. It rests squarely on your shoulders. The church should supplement what you are already teaching them. The primary responsibility of teaching the children always rests with the parents. I not only teach them verbally, I model before them Christianity so that they will have a clear example to follow. I do believe that COVID is a very difficult thing if you catch it. 
And I think we've made light of it sometimes. I want you to understand, we face it right on and we say, it shall not, I shall not be filled with fear. And we teach our kids how to live without fear in the midst of a pandemic. Right? That's how we do it. We model it before them. If I'm sitting there all frustrated, it's trouble. If I watch the news or listen to news and I'm filled with fear saying, oh, the world's falling apart, what are my kids going to do? They're going to fall apart. If I listen to the news or hear something bad and I say, God is still in control, what are my kids going to believe? God is still in control. I model my faith before them so they have not only my verbal words, they have my life as an example so they know how to live. My son Peter was with us last weekend, and he has a son. I just laugh at him because I think, you are so much your father. He doesn't like vegetables. I mean, he will sit there for hours at the table and not eat them. He doesn't care. And I, Colin and I just laugh. We say, well, who is that? And I looked at little Aaron the other day, and I said, you are so much like your daddy. And his, he just grinned from ear to ear, and his dad frowned. <laughs> He's just like him. They model, and they follow, and you're just like him. I remember one day when I was in St. John's, Michigan as a pastor, somebody came up behind my son Andy and said, you walk just like your father. And I went, how do I walk? Do I walk weird? What are, the, what are the, what we're saying? You're just like your dad. You're just like your dad. Model it before them. Woodrow Wilson, you know, he was once our president. But before that, he was the uh, president of Princeton University. Listen to what he said. I get many letters from you parents about your children. You want to know why we people up here in Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. Well, let me tell you the reason we can't. It may shock you just a little. I'm not trying to be rude. The reason is that they are your sons, reared in your homes, blood of your blood, bone of your bone. They have absorbed the ideals of your homes. You have formed and fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, moldable years of their lives, you have forever left your imprint upon them. That's the legacy. That's what we're talking about this morning. What are you putting into your children's lives that they will model? When I was at Grand Rapids Baptist College, our president then, Dr. Welch, was approached by a group of pastors who were not happy with how things were going on campus. And he, they said to him, can't you get better control of these kids? We weren't that bad. Can't you? And he just looked at him and said, they're from your churches? That ended the discussion. You see, we want somebody else. And, and, and it's time to take responsibility in saying, my children are my responsibility, and I'm going to model before them. I'm going to teach them who God is and the things of God. Well, how do I do it? Well, I have to teach them clearly. We'll go over this quickly. I don't have a lot of time. Clearly. Verse 8. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Teach them diligently. Teach them clearly. Sharpen to the point and drive it home. It's to pierce all the way through. The thought is that I will pointedly, precisely, and clearly drive the thought home. I take the things of God and I penetrate the lives of my children with them like a sharp arrow penetrates its target. How do I do that? Do I sit them down in a row? Say, now kids, listen to me. Listen to me, listen to me. This is what, no, 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 that's not what it's, he said, you, you, you talk about God all the time. Teach them naturally, taking every opportunity and relating it back to God. You see a rainbow in the sky and you go, oh, isn't that pretty? No, you see a rainbow in the sky and say, hey kids, you know what that means? Except for the littlest, you ask any of my grandchildren what a rainbow means, they'll instantly tell you what it means. Why? Because their parents have passed on what I passed on to them, what they knew of the word of God. We see beautiful sunset, how about you talk about the beauty of the creation that God has made? You see a COVID situation, and you talk about how God can make everything better. He can heal people, but that we have a disease because we live in a sin-cursed world because man rejected God. Do you see what I'm talking about? Everything in life, and you begin to relate it back to who God is. And you teach him with design. It talks about the phylacrates. I can never say that word right, but you know what it is. How many of you know what that is? Let me help you out. It's this passage of Scripture with Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 21. It was written down and put in a little box. And the Jewish people, some would put them on their hand and have leather straps and they'd wear them on their hands at times of prayer and other times throughout the day or right here on their forehead. You shall wear them all the time. The word of God, do the word of God, love God, all this stuff was always before them. Then the Jewish people also had a mezuzah. You know what that is? It's that little thing on a lot of Jewish doors. You know what's inside that thing? This passage of scripture with Deuteronomy 11. On the outside of this is written in our language, God Almighty, Shaddai. And when the Jewish people would go out of their house, you know what they would touch? Masusa. Love God. Keep his word. He is the almighty God. You know what that means to me? It means this. Visually, whatever you can do, put it before your children so they see God at all times in your life and what he means to you and they can grow up in an atmosphere of knowing and loving God. Passing on a legacy of faith. Wouldn't it be great to get in heaven? And if we can know all of this stuff in heaven, 
to see four and five generations of your family in heaven because you decided today to pass on a legacy of faith that touched your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, all the way down through the line. It begins with you making a decision to intentionally pass on a legacy of faith. So let me close with some questions. How's your journey of knowing God going? Do you really know him better this year than last year? If not, maybe today's the day to say, you know, God, I've got to get to know you better. Second question, have you settled your core beliefs so that you not only know what you believe, but you know why you believe those things? If not, come get some help that you can get those things settled. Get in a study where you begin to understand who God is. Go to a life group tonight and say, I need some help working on my core beliefs. And maybe, is Pastor Sean, are you in here today? Are you back? Close your ears for a minute. And maybe you'll take the next little bit instead of just diving in so deeply in the message, maybe you'll take a part of each life group and talk about a core belief and why you believe that so you can live that out in your everyday life. Are you living what you believe or is it simply a head knowledge within you? Did you one time live out your faith and now you've grown a little lax in it? Then today's the day to come back. Are you passing on your faith to the next generation as they listen to you talk and watch how you live? And here's the final one. Do you know Christ or do you know God personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if not, I'm just going to pray in a minute and we're going to be done. But down here, there'll be some people who'll be glad to pray with you. Whether it's I need to be more intentional, I need to know Jesus, whatever it is, there are people here who will help you. But could we do this today? Could we just walk out of here and say, by God's help, I'm going to pass on a legacy of faith. My children, my grandchildren, and God willing, my great-grandchildren are going to know who God is and how to love him and live for him all the days of my lo- their lives because I am going to set that example for them. Would you pray with me, please? Father, help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Help us to live out our faith in a way that dramatically impacts future generations. Lord, do we ever, ever need that? So God, give those who are here today a desire to love you from the core of their beings, to live for you in such a way that their lives are dramatically changed and that the generations to come might know God through Jesus Christ and have a solid bedrock faith in him. Be with those who don't know Jesus, that today they would come to know him. I ask in his matchless name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching will inspire you to love God, love others, and influence the world for Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can click on the link for our online connection card. 
If you haven't yet, you can download our church app and you can see more opportunities and messages and even share this message with a friend. And go to our website, fbclcart.org, for even more opportunities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at FBC Elkhart.